0: So tonight I'm going to continue on with this message I had this morning and uh, it's going to, I'll close it shortly and I'll go into another another text. but uh, if you turn to Romans uh, the first chapter of Romans now that's where we had left off this morning and look at verse 19. the first chapter of Romans verse 19. Says Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. The very creation that man denies today is a significant display to show God's almighty power, wisdom, and goodness, so as to render them without excuse in their ungodliness. Men see this wonderful creation and they say, No God. Now, I worked in the public school system in a high school for about 16 years and was very closely associated with the science teachers, and some of them are wonderful people, just as sweet and nice people as you could ever want to know. But often I have said, people can be as nice as can be but when you cross them in their religion it brings out a negative side of them sometimes real animosity well it's the same thing with science teachers and I have observed that they all go to church somewhere but they teach and they believe evolution and if you was to argue with them or cross them in their teaching, you'd find that they're not so nice a people. And so I learned where to back off on these science teachers. How anybody can just look around and say, No, Creator. And they go to church Most of them go to Catholic churches They don't teach you anything there I guess How to bow down How to read your beads If you can read beads You're a good Catholic I know I've read about People in Tibet That write their little prayer on a flag And stick it out in the wind And as long as the wind blows that flag They think they're praying that's that's about as much as your beads are going to do you too. You see, men see the wonderful creation and say, No, God. And when men saw the Lord Jesus Christ, they said, No, God. In fact, they told him he had a devil. Let's turn to John 10. Look at verse 30. John 10 and verse 30. Well, this, when our Lord says this, I guess they would scratch their head. Our Lord said, I and my Father are one. Is that confusing? Well, it would be to the normal, natural person. How can two people be one? Well, you see, in the Godhead, they're one in essence, one in will, one in desire, one in everything except they're three persons. And to explain it to you in, from the human part no, We're called body, soul, and spirit We're three But see, we can't separate them Separate the body from the soul And it's dead It's no good anymore But the Godhead is different They're eternal Eternal persons God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit I'm not going to run my head into a brick wall trying to figure it out and reason it out. I'm going to believe it. And I know by experience how it works. I know there was in due time the second person of the triune Godhead became one of us in order to be our substitute redeemer. And back in eternity we're going to give to the Father's credit an electing Love. And then in time, the Holy Spirit works in each believer, each elect soul, to quicken them, to convince them, to convict them. And bring them down as a beggar asking for mercy. When Christ is revealed to their heart, they are then called saved. It's got to be a revelation to your heart. It's not anything that you can uh, draw up on a drawing board Or have somebody give to you Or tell you to say this and you're saved You won't know that you've had electing love Or been saved until the Lord Jesus Christ Is revealed to your heart as yours Now God is not held in any mold To do it any particular way for any, any people But God does it he lets you know that Christ died for you. All right, we just read verse 30. I and my Father are one, one in essence particularly. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. They must carry these rocks around and a little cart behind them and whenever the opportunity would avail, they reached down and go for the stones to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me for? For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. You see, the normal, natural human being cannot understand that. They do not understand that God made himself man. See, they can't understand that man can be made God, which was the Lord Jesus Christ, but the reverse of that, that God could be made a man, is even more mysterious. In fact, over in the book of Timothy, it says, Great is the mystery of godliness. Let's look at that. I think it's in 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy... Uh, 3 uh, no maybe it's 1st Timothy let me see yeah 1st Timothy 3.16 1st Timothy 3.16 and without controversy great this is the mystery of godliness that's God becoming man God was manifest in the flesh. There's your answer. He was justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory, and is still being believed on in the world. And while he's there in glory, he makes intercession for believers here in the wilderness. Just what you see around you is enough to leave everyone without excuse. Birds, bees, flowers, fish, sun, moon, stars, dogs, cats, horses, cows, people. What you see is what God gave us, what God made, what God created. The Bible says, and that leaves us without excuse. But you see, the fallen nature of man can will to deny God, but must be influenced by God's Spirit to know God. Once the grace of God has opened your understanding, give diligence to secure your soul. Now you're a candidate for salvation. And he says, don't forget. Forgetting is the easy way. Diligence will include labor, hard work, and much sacrifice of much that you call pleasure and profit. And just what price can you put on eternal life and happiness? Turn to Mark 8. Look at verse 36. Mark eight thirty-six. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul that's not even a good comparison is it what if he would have said what shall it profit a man if he uh, wins the lottery and then loses his soul well you know what 99% of Americans would favor winning the lottery and taking their chances but our Lord doesn't go to anything as Little is that So, if you gain The whole World You can't even begin To think about that But if you would Gain it And lose your soul You're a loser For eternity What you gain In the world Is very temporary Whether you're rich Or poor Whether you're healthy Or not healthy What you have In this life Is going to end And it's going to end Quickly Why do I say quickly, well, I'm standing here, 72 years old, I don't know how I got here so fast. But I got here, and there's not many years to go. How did I get here so fast? I can't tell you. It just, zoop, it's gone. And that's how life is. What have I got that I've gained in the world? Well, you know, we got a house, we got a car. I've got some rebellious kids and uh, a lot of grandkids that need to know the Lord. But there's nothing I can take with me. Not a single thing. But boy, do I have a hope. Do I have a wonderful hope that I'm going to get a new body and that body's going to be like unto my Lord's glorious body and that that body will never sin. That's Not just to hope, that's the most wonderful expectation To think that I won't sin anymore That's amazing Well there's an awful lot of things we have That we can take with us All the promises And then there's so many of the saints we're going to meet And I don't think when we go to be with the Lord That we'll ever meet a stranger Everyone in the family, you will know. We're we're adopted into God's family. And family members know each other. Okay? So you're going to know millions of blood-bought believers. There won't be any strangers. Well, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? And then verse 37 says, And what shall a man give in exchange? For his soul, you can't give anything. You can't buy it. You owned everything in the world. You couldn't buy even the forgiveness of one sin. God laid down the ground rules, put it in the rule book, said a sin can only be paid for by pure, spotless, sinless blood, and you haven't got it. The Lord Jesus Christ had it. You've got to go to Him to ask for mercy. And the scriptures tell us, and I know from experience, that if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have your sins forgiven, you're granted eternal life, and nothing can beat that. Nothing ever can beat that. Being a Christian is not getting dressed up once a week to go to church. It's following Christ every day. While you're in Mark, look at Mark 8, verse 34 and 35. Mark 8:34 and 35. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, "Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me." So the cross happens to be self-denial. And whosoever will save his life shall lose it but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospel's the same shall save it. So may the Lord move hearts to see these truths and to not only see them but to love them. Why do you have to love them? Let me show you 2 Thessalonians 2:10. 2 Thessalonians 2:10 This is serious. This verse is going to tell you not if you know the truth, but you must have a love of the truth. Okay. Well, let's start reading with verse 8, talking about when the Antichrist will be revealed. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. You see, he don't consume him immediately when he's revealed. Then we've got to go to the end of the tribulation We've got to go to the end of the story To the back of the Bible And see where the Lord Jesus Christ Cast him into the lake of fire But this wicked person will be revealed And will have much control of the world And his world systems for some time So that's why it says And then shall that wicked be revealed Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth And shall destroy with the brightness of his coming Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So when Antichrist does appear on the scene on this earth, it's going to be as if God himself was the one appearing. He's going to have many deceivable wonders to fool the people. And verse 10 says, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish... And here's the reason. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Wow. Just because they didn't have a love of the truth. Well, you see, some of this truth has to do with what God's Holy Spirit teaches you about yourself. Now, nowhere in the school system or any other systems that I know do they tell you take the blame, see yourself guilty, see yourself unworthy, see yourself without strength and without hope. You see, that's what the Bible teaches God's people. And they not only learn it, but they feel it, they know it, experimentally, experimentally. They know all about the deceivableness of that heart that's wicked and deceitful above all things. They know what a depraved nature is, but you're not going to learn that in school. Never. The normal, natural person never comes to know about themselves. But when God's Holy Spirit teaches you, that's part of the truth that you love because that brings you down to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ where you can sincerely ask for mercy. I know from experience that you can ask for mercy over and over and over again, but it's not sincere. Our hearts deceive us. What we say from our mouth a lot of times it's just merely coming from that heart which produces so many evil and wicked things. But when from our mouth proceeds that which the Holy Spirit gives us utterance, then it's sincere. And I've often thought I have never had very many sincere moments in my whole life. But I know there was one moment when I cried unto the Lord for mercy and asked Him to take me out if He wasn't going to save me. I knew I deserved to go to hell and I would be nothing but a stumbling block to those I loved if I stayed around. And that, as I look back, was the end of my rope. It was then that Christ spoke to my heart and said, I died for you. And amazingly enough, the cry for mercy, the burden of sin, the fear of hell, all of that burden fell off right then. And though I was so used to asking for mercy over and over and over again, I didn't have the heart for that right then. I only wanted to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for dying for sinners like me. And for several weeks, I never told anybody anything but rejoiced and gave thanks to the Lord morning, noon, and night. Nothing but a smile on my face. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. Wow, salvation is so great. Well, let me start a little message here, seeing we just finished this other one. A stranger in a pilgrim, isn't that an amazing picture of God's people? Of all people that should be at home, should have everything going for them, have everything nice and easy, that that's the picture of God's people, a stranger and a pilgrim. Let's turn over to Hebrews 11. And we'll just read it. And we're talking about the the heroes of the Old Testament. It starts with Abel. And it goes to Enoch, and it goes to Noah, and it goes to Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. And those are our main characters in the book of Genesis. And verse 13 says that these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Wow. Strangers and pilgrims. What do you teach your child? Don't talk to strangers. Well, they wouldn't know what a pilgrim was. You know, we have a marvelous book that most of God's people are familiar with called Pilgrim's Progress, and the rest of the world hasn't got the slightest idea what it's about. They think you're going to take you back to Plymouth Rock. A bunch of people coming over on the Mayflower, they call them pilgrims. But you see, that's not what a pilgrim is. A real pilgrim is one who is launched out into the world. They don't belong there. They're traveling. They're looking for Something. God's pilgrims and strangers are looking for something in verse 16. Look at this. But now they desire a better country that isn't heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And that's what they were looking for. And so do all of God's people called pilgrims and strangers. Don't talk to strangers. You'll get in trouble. You know, most religious people feel that way. They don't want to talk about their church. They don't want to talk about their religion. They don't want to talk to you about how God dealt with you in your life. Every person that the Lord Jesus Christ died for has got a story to tell. They've got a story to tell about the days before God interfered into their life, some are notorious sinners others were good people in the eyes of other folks some are religious some are half religious half notorious but never thinking anybody is bad enough to go to hell but once God interferes into your life when you look back You can see where you were. And that part of your country is called lost. Like the prodigal goes to a far country to feed swine. Forbidden. Swine, absolutely forbidden. They hate it. A normal Jew can't stand pork. Because it's against their religion. It's against their teaching. But God's people before he calls them out Live in a hog pen They not only feed swine They are swine Just as bad as any dirty animal in the whole world And God quickens the heart And shows them that they've been dead in trespasses and sins the story of the stranger. And then they know how God dealt with them. Know how God showed them their sin, reproved them of their sin, reproved them of righteousness, showed them they didn't have any. And you got to have it. From God's rule book, we see you got to have a perfect righteousness to stand in God's presence. And nobody's got it. So how do you get a perfect righteousness? How are you reproved of righteousness? Well, you see, most people think they've got a little bit of good in them. And that that little bit of good, God's going to honor toward salvation. But then God writes a little verse over there in Isaiah 64, 6. It says, all of our righteousnesses, all of them, the best you got are as filthy rags. When... You think you can apply them to your salvation. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you you're not supposed to be good to your neighbor, good to yourself, good to everybody, nice as you can be. People count that righteousness, but if you count it for your salvation, it's a filthy rag. So you don't have any of that. And the Holy Spirit's going to reprove that stranger and pilgrim of judgment. He's going to show you that it's appointed unto man once to die but after this the judgment and this normal natural people the natural man has no idea about has no idea he has a soul it's going to live forever and the soul that he has the life that he has he thinks is too good to go to hell maybe not good enough to go to heaven so he'll jump onto a religion that'll send him to a Place that doesn't exist to suffer for several thousand years, terrible, burning agony. What a joke. What a laugh. And yet, some of our most brilliant people in the whole world believe that. And they take comfort in that. That they can suffer for several thousands of years. They don't know how many. Maybe it's 20 or 30,000. Not just two or three. Burn. Terrible agony. And that's supposed to purge their sin. Well, sin is never purged by fire. It's punished by fire, but it's not purged. It can only be purged by sinless, spotless blood, and that's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, being a stranger and a pilgrim, these folks have something to talk about amongst themselves. But the normal person not supposed to talk to a stranger. They're dangerous. I'm glad the Lord made me a stranger one day and a pilgrim. Pilgrim travels; he's always on a go and I left from New York to come down to Louisiana to hear the gospel to come to Christ I knew I was lost the Lord had showed that to me so clearly spoke to my heart and said you are a lost sinner you see that doesn't happen to very many people very few people that I have ever ever talked to have had it so plainly spoken to them that they were lost. And I remained lost until that same voice that spoke to my heart about being lost told me that the Lord Jesus Christ died for me. That's what salvation's all about. Coming to Christ, and don't quit coming until he speaks peace to your heart. Well our time is running out So we'll save that message For the next time Strangers and pilgrims We haven't even started it The Lord Jesus Christ invites people He does the inviting When he says come unto me All ye that labor and are heavy laden He means it When we read this morning over in uh, uh, Was it Exodus? 4, Deuteronomy 4 the Lord said if you seek me you'll find me if you search for me with all your heart and Jeremiah 29 also says the saint Twenty nine thirteen. 13 you shall search for me and ye shall find me when you search for me with all your heart. So, it's serious. No playing around. Now, half-hearted, wait until next Wednesday or wait till next Sunday to get religious. Start crying under the Lord Jesus Christ now. Don't quit till he speaks peace to your heart. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon our reading of thy word tonight and upon the study. The few that are here, that thou have blessed their hearts These young people, that Thou will stick the arrow of conviction into their heart. Oh, make them an awakened sinner. Make them to have spiritual thoughts, eternal thoughts. These are precious children. Lord, work in their hearts. Bless each one that's here, each family represented, each home represented, and those who will by tape. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.